Hello everyone. Welcome to this episode on CCDD New Frontiers in Strabismus. I am Dr. Akila Chandrasekharan, fellow in pediatric ophthalmology. I thank you ma'am for guiding me through this session. Through this podcast, we wish to provide a better understanding and emphasize the clinical significance of CCDD that is congenital cranial disinhibition disorders rather than a description of each of these which is readily available in various textbooks and other resources i am dr meenakshi swaminathan pediatric ophthalmology consultant what is ccdd what all disorders are grouped as ccdd and what was evolution of concepts in 2002 gutowski et al coined the term CCDD to encompass congenital sporadic or familial disorders of abnormalities in the innervation of ocular and facial musculature originating anywhere from brainstem to orbit with or without associated systemic abnormalities initially it was referred to as congenital fibrosis syndrome the conventional thought was that The primary problem was a congenital abnormality of muscle development. It was recognized after children who were born with congenital ocular motility abnormalities and fibrotic extraocular muscles. Following this, with evidences mounting in genetics and neuroimaging, there was a paradigm shift in the concept of CCDD that the initial observation of fibrotic muscles is in fact a response to a lack of innervation primary disinnervation in the ccdds may result from absence of normal muscle innervation because alpha motor neurons of the appropriate cranial nerves either do not develop or are misguided during development secondary disinnervation may occur when a muscle lacking normal innervation becomes aberrantly innervated during development by branches of other nerves it is not just the terminology but also the classification of ccdds that has been evolving over years a practical approach to ccdd classification is based on the pattern of disinnervation of ocular or facial musculature disorders involving predominantly vertical ocular motility defects are likely to result from abnormalities in development of ocular motor or trochlear nerves or nuclei these classically include cfeom that is congenital fibrosis of extraocular muscles and its variants and congenital ptosis this group also includes congenital brown syndrome congenital ocular motor nerve palsy and congenital trochlear nerve palsy Disorders involving predominantly horizontal ocular motility defects are likely to result from abnormalities in the development of abducens nerve or nucleus. These include Duane retraction syndrome and horizontal gaze palsy with progressive scoliosis. Disorders involving predominantly facial musculature are likely to result from abnormal development of the facial nerve or nucleus. sometimes with associated ocular motor abnormalities these include congenital facial nerve palsy and mobius syndrome the list of ccdds continues to grow as new disorders are clinically and genetically characterized some of which are affecting 
not only cranial motor nerves but also sensory nerves and innervations in other parts of the body. What all to look for clinically? Despite the grey areas of CCDDs like terminology, classification, phenotype, genotype correlations, our focus is on the management of patients with these disorders. So the pearls in the clinical assessment of CCDDs are as follows. Number one, perform standard motility and cover test examinations in nine cardinal positions of gaze with and without the anomalous head posture. Conventional prism cover test may not be possible in most cases, wherein a qualitative assessment is more important than a quantitative assessment. Number two, identify the fixing eye. Rule out if the fixing eye is the affected eye in unilateral cases. Number three, measure the head posture and determine what drives the head posture. Number four, check for pattern deviation and try to interpret aberrant innovations. Number five, look for the reasons and elaborate the extent of restriction and paresis that causes any deficient ductions. The speed and quality of the saccade can give important clue of paresis instead of full paralysis. Number six, passive and active traction tests should be performed whenever possible. Number seven, objectively or subjectively document torsion. Number eight, estimate the diplopia-free visual field. Number nine, look for fusion and stereopsis which may be preserved with the anomalous head posture. And number 10, look for systemic associations. Also, look at old photographs to establish the congenital onset and do videographic documentation to explain suddenly changing ocular motility characteristics. What is the pathological significance? There can be varying degrees of paresis and restriction along with aberrant innovations and disinnovation. Though the disinnovation is not progressive, the secondary anatomical changes like fibrosis can be progressive. What is the role of genetics and radiology? Molecular diagnosis using genetic testing is confirmatory but will not alter the surgical plan. An understanding of genotype Phenotype correlations in CCDDs is beyond the scope of this podcast. Though a diagnosis is apparent clinically in most cases of CCDD, radiology aids by demonstrating the morphological abnormalities that occur in the brainstem, cranial nerves, and extraocular muscles. This can resolve diagnostic dilemma in clinically inapparent cases and can be useful to differentiate CCDDs from other ophthalmoplegia, especially when genetic studies are not available. Now, how to manage, when to operate, what are the challenges and what are the guiding principles? Refractive errors and amblyopia are common and should be managed promptly. Correction of ptosis should be delayed until the eyes are satisfactorily aligned with a caution against overcorrection, especially when Bell's phenomenon is absent. As for the indications for surgery, we have to tackle marked anomalous head posture, noticeable ocular deviation in primary position, marked globe retraction, and upshoots and downshoots. You may encounter surgical challenges, altered surgical anatomy, heterotopic muscle insertions, anomalous bands, varying degrees of paralysis and fibrosis of extraocular muscles, 
violation of laws of innovations, association of pattern deviation and aberrant innovations, lack of precise measurements, no general surgical algorithm due to varying phenotypic presentations, anesthetic challenges due to craniofacial anomalies. Remember few surgical principles. Forced duction tests before, during and after surgery should guide the surgical plan. The use of two muscle hooks is preferred to avoid snipping of a fibrotic and friable muscle. Factors other than tight muscle that contribute to the restriction like tight conjunctiva or tenons or connective tissue should be considered. Lication being vessel sparring is an alternative to resection to reduce the risk of anterior segment ischemia but is difficult in fibrotic muscles. Weakening a muscle of the contralateral eye to create fixation duress or to match the duction deficit is an option. These are rare and challenging strabismus cases to the most experienced pediatric ophthalmologists and strabismologists. Irrespective of the etiology or classification of the CCDDs, management should be customized and tailored to the specific needs of a patient. Finally, the pointers to suspect CCDDs are congenital onset, non-progressive nature, family history, anomalous head posture, variable limitation of eye movements with aberrant movements like synkinesis or co-contraction. Hope you find this episode informative and it has stimulated your curiosity about these complex trebismic disorders. Thank you for listening. 